Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray you open our eyes and our ears to it this morning. Amen. 1 Corinthians 8, all the way to 13. Food offered to idols. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs us up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God, We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And this is the word of the Lord. Rain. We got rain. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for rain. And may he give us lots more this this winter. Do you believe how hot it was yesterday? Special day yesterday. Reformation Day. (laughs) Right? October 31st, 1517. Luther pounded his uh, theses on on the castle door. Pastor Adam dresses up in a special way in honor of that every week, every year, every week, every year, every week, something like that. Our whole family yesterday is like, Dad, what's Pastor Adam wearing? What's Pastor Adam wearing? We want to see. So we had, I didn't, I didn't get a picture of it on the screen for you today, but my favorite, yeah, thank, I, uh, my favorite, my favorite one was the nun's costume a couple, a uh, couple years ago. Okay. This is not in the manuscript. Um, I got somehow got off from rain. Well, for those of you that uh, are visiting today, uh, we've been in a journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be in chapter 8 today, so hopefully you have your Bibles opened uh, there. We're going to be there in just a moment. For those of you that are visiting or maybe haven't been here in recent weeks, in chapter 7, right at the beginning, 
There's a shift. And Paul says there, now for the matters you wrote about. And so the Corinthian church had corresponded with Paul. And they sent him a list of concerns and things that they wanted wisdom from him on. Wouldn't that have been cool to be able to send Paul a little note? Say, hey, can you help us out with these, with these items here? And so uh, we made it through chapter 7. So what was on that list that they sent Paul uh, in chapter 7 were things that had to do with marriage and, and singleness and divorce and living with someone who's not a believer, being married to someone who's not a believer, and, and having children. And how does this all play out? And so we had this lengthy chapter 7 uh, where Paul's responding to those things that the Corinthians wrote to him about. So today, he goes on to the next item in chapter 8, the passage that was just read. And the next item on the list was food or meat sacrificed to idols. And just to give you some background here, in Corinth, in the first century, there are all kinds of, of temples where various pagan deities are worshipped, all kinds of different gods. And they would offer animal sacrifices and have great parties. Some of these parties were, were full, of, full of partying, um, full of immorality and drunkenness and feasting and all kinds of things. And one of the things that happened is that there were so many of these temples and so many of these sacrifices is that there would be leftovers from these sacrifices. Didn't get consumed in the parties, didn't get consumed in the ritual to such and such pagan god. And so this meat would work its way into uh, Rayleigh's and Bel Air and and Safeway of the first century. So this meat is, is there. And so some of the Corinthians are saying, you know what? We know that these idols are nothing. They're nothing. So it doesn't matter whether we go and and get meat from Safeway that was sacrificed to such and such a pagan god because there is no such thing as that pagan god. So Christ has given us power and we can just go and we can just eat that meat. There are other Corinthians, other Christians in the Corinthian church, and they're like, no way. We cannot eat that meat. Just recently, we were involved in these parties and this worship of these deities. And we can't have anything to do with that meat or with the temples. The the argument mostly here in chapter 8 isn't about whether we're going to the temples, but just eating this food, eating this meat that we're getting at Safeway. And some of them are saying, no way. We, 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 we can't do that. So Paul writes. This is one of the problems in their correspondence to him. So he writes chapter 8. So let's, let's get our eyes on our Bibles here and work our way through this. So he says in verse 1, chapter 8, Now about food, sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. Let's pause here for a second. In fact, let me put uh, verse 1 up on the screen here. 
Maybe. Can you put up that slide there? There we go. Verse 1 from the ESV. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that, quote, all of us possess knowledge. So Paul here is quoting this group of Corinthians who are saying, we've got this knowledge, okay? And this empowering knowledge frees me to go to Safeway and get the meat that was sacrificed to idols. Okay, we've got this knowledge about Jesus. He's the only God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the triune God, one God. We've got this knowledge. But Paul says this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So we see here right from verse 1 that there's a huge contrast between this knowledge that they have that's puffing up, that's giving them big heads, it's making them uh, arrogant. In fact, I'm going to call this group of people the arrogant, okay? They're arrogant. They're puffed up. So knowledge here is not being used in the way that it's used, for example, in Proverbs, where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge there is, is a good thing. You want to have that knowledge. This knowledge is a bad thing. This is knowledge that puffs up. Now we've got to go further in this chapter to find out why this is a problem. But he contrasts this with, with love that builds up in verse 1. So let's come back to the, the text here. Okay, there we go. Come back to the text here, verse, verse 2. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. He's talking about the man or the woman who's part of the, the arrogant group here. Okay? The man who, who goes to Safeway and, and eats the meat. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. And there, there's, there's some, I, I just can't refrain from, from going into verse, verse 2 a little bit, little bit deep here, okay? So you guys be, be patient with me for, for a minute here. I just, I, I love, I, I know I'm a little bit weird, but I've, I've told you before that I have a favorite verb tense. Do you have a favorite verb tense? I, I mean, I have a, I'm weird. I have a favorite verb tense, Okay. And this tense is used here in verse 2. The man who thinks he knows something. In the Greek New Testament, this is in the perfect verb tense. And the perfect verb tense is when something uh, has happened in the past and it has continuing results going on into the future. So what's happened in the past is we've got this knowledge about Jesus and these other gods are fake and false and not real. And so we can go and get filet mignon down at Safeway that that was from this temple. We've got this knowledge, and so there's continuing results that's, that are going to happen. We can, we can go down there and get this meat. But Paul is saying the man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. And so the same word here, but he shifts tense from the perfect, my favorite tense. That's the tense that Jesus uses on the cross when he says it is finished. When he says to telestai, it is finished. The work, the death of Jesus satisfying the wrath of God because he loves us so much that work is done and the redemption of humanity of the church is coming forward with this continuing results. Isn't that your favorite tense now? Is this your favorite tense? So he uses the perfect tense first here and knows something. Uh, he, he thinks he knows something, but then he shifts, shifts the same verb, but he uses the aorist tense and it's what we call 
uh, those of us who like tenses, uses an ingressive aorist, which, which is focusing on the beginning point. So what he's saying, you arrogant people who are puffed up, who think you know everything, you're actually at the very starting place of knowledge. You don't have knowledge in the way that Proverbs is describing it. You've got this thing that has puffed you up. So let's move on. Look at verse 4. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. That, that, That should be in quotes too. This is part of their theology, and this is biblical theology. Idols are nothing. This is true theology. And that there is no God but one. Okay, so both of those are uh, probably in quotes in your translation. If they're not, they should be. And so here Paul is actually agreeing with the arrogant Corinthians. He's agreeing with them. You have the right theology. These idols don't exist. This isn't, um, there is no, no other God other than the one true God. He's agreeing with them here. In verse 4, look at verse 5. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, As indeed, there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things came and through whom we live. I like verse 6. We don't have time to go into it too long, but but Paul has has taken this, this theology from the Old Testament, the Shema, that there's one God, and, and do you see what he's done here? He's included Jesus in this one God. There is but one God from whom all things and from whom we live. This is what a, a good Hebrew would expect. But this next phrase, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So all things that came into existence came through Jesus. Jesus is also God. Paul just kind of throws this in here. But in verses 4 through 6, he's agreeing with, the, with part of the theology of these arrogant Corinthians. And we'll find out exactly why they're arrogant in, a, in just a moment. He, he's agreeing with these arrogant Corinthians about their theology about God and about the falseness of, of idols. Now we get to a really important part of this chapter so, so that we understand where he's going. Verse 7. But not everyone knows this. Not everyone knows what you know, arrogant Corinthians. The the group of Corinthians who go to Safeway, not everyone knows what you know. Not everyone knows that these idols are nothing. In fact, they have just been involved in these parties. And they have come to faith in Jesus and they've had a wholesale sweep of their lives. And they don't have this understanding that you have. This is dangerous for them. Not everyone knows this. Verse 7. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that what they eat, when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. I like that verse too. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves that brings us close to God, including eating food. Nothing. Coming to church on Sunday doesn't necessarily bring us near to God by just coming to church. It's a spiritual work, and we come near to God when we come to church. We come 
together in this building to worship him on Sunday, but just by coming here, just somebody just walking in here, they don't necessarily get near to him. And so food doesn't bring us near to God. We are no worse, verse 8, we are no worse if we do not eat. So there's a jab to those, those arrogant Corinthians. Those who are not going to Safeway, they are no worse. And guess what? You're no better if you do or if we do, if you go and get that, get that meat. So, so why, why am I describing them as arrogant? We get more of this in verse 9 and following. Why does Paul describe them as puffed up? Look at verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. To the weak. So we have two groups now. We have the arrogant Christian Corinthians. Go to Safeway. And now we have the weak Christian Corinthians. They don't go to Safeway. They will not eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. Verse 10, for if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, he shifted now from what he's mostly talking about in this chapter, going to the market, going to Safeway. He shifted now to the temple, theoretically. If anyone, one of the weak, sees you eating there, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? Verse 11. So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your, in quotes, knowledge. Destroyed. Eternally gone. Because you're puffed up and going and eating this meat. They're, they're, they're in danger of falling back. How many of us have known someone who was just in love with Jesus, pursuing Jesus, someone we looked up to, and something went on, and they're gone outside the faith? Anybody? Am I the only one? Anybody have that scenario? This is what Paul's talking about right here. This is why, this is, this is why he took chapter 8 to address what was on the note card that, that was sent to him. Because although those idols don't exist in reality, there is only one God. You got that truth, arrogant Corinthians. What you're missing is that there is a demonic power that leads even believers to temptation and to fall away. And these, and these brothers and sisters who have just, just recently come to the Lord, there is this massive temptation to go back to that way of life. Verse 11, again, so this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin, against your brothers in this way, 
and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. That's a that's a zinger. If you're one of the one of the arrogant. But if you're not one of the arrogant Christians, what a beautiful verse that is. And what I mean by that isn't their sin, but this union of Jesus with the believer. Do you see that? You sin against Christ. Jesus so identifies with this weak brother who has recently come to Christ, who is tempted to go back to this way of life, he so identifies with that weak brother that he says, if you are a stumbling block for him and you go to Safeway and get that meat, you are sinning against me. Because he is in me and I am in him. This this is no trivial thing. This is the same theology that's present when, uh, when the Lord says to, to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? Jesus so identified with those Christians that Saul is persecuting and, and wanting to put out and, and to kill even, that he's saying, you were persecuting me, my body, the church. Verse 13. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. This is Paul. This is the Holy Spirit. This is how we are called to live. This is why they are arrogant. They are arrogant because they're not loving their brothers and sisters in Christ. They're arrogant because they want their filet mignon. And they probably had the best meat coming from those temples. They're using the truth of orthodoxy about God to disregard, to not care about these new brothers and sisters in Christ. I will never eat meat again. Some of you, um, some of you plant eaters will like to use that verse, huh? Out of context. Some of you, some of you, uh, some of you like to like to use that verse out of context. The, the news. You guys seen the news recently? I'm off the manuscript again now. Meat's bad for us. Is that heresy? Is meat bad for us? Did you guys hear this in the news? Yeah, that's got to be heresy, right? But that's another subject. Okay. We'll talk about that later. This point isn't about our diet here. This point is about love. And about loving brothers and sisters. Yeah, the the idols are fake, but the temptation and the demonic powers are real and they will get sucked back in. So we have three groups. uh, Before we get to that, There's one comment on this passage. Charles Hodge. Mere theoretical or speculative knowledge, that is, knowledge divorced from love, tends to inflate the mind, to puff up, 
That is, it renders it vain and conceited. It is a great mistake, therefore, to suppose that mere knowledge without religion, and Hodge means without Christianity, without the gospel, that's what he means by religion back in his day, without Christ, let me start over here, therefore, to suppose that mere knowledge without Christ elevates and refines man or can purify society. It is essential. Okay, knowledge is essential, but it is insufficient. It is insufficient. It's got to have love. It can't be divorced from love. That's what chapter 8 is about. Love endures all things. Love is not self-focused or, or conceited. It thinks about Christ. It thinks about the weak brother and sister over here. So we're willing to do anything to love them and to love God. So I've mentioned these groups just to kind of summarize this passage. There's three groups. The arrogant are saying, I'm free in Christ to eat filet mignon, to eat the meat, to eat this food that's left over, the leftovers of of idol worship. We have the weak They're saying, I'm not free. I'm not free in Christ to eat that. I'm not going there. I'm not going back to the temple, and I'm not going to Safeway. I'm not going to touch any of that stuff. It's dangerous for me. And then we have what Paul's saying. He's saying to us, he's saying to those Corinthians in the first century, he's saying, I'm free in Christ Jesus to eat filet mignon this byproduct of idol worship. I get it. They're not real idols. But I will refrain because of love for my recently converted brothers and sisters. I am guided by love for Christ and my weak brother, not by selfishness, not justified by some knowledge. I'm not guided by my love for that food, but for my brothers and sisters and for the Lord Jesus. So, so what do we do with this passage? What do we do with this passage? So, if you happen to travel to Corinth and there happens to be a bunch of, bunch of uh, pagan temples and you ask your tour guide, hey, does that meat work its way over to this restaurant? Yeah, it's, no. No. When we read a passage of Scripture like this, we have to do this next step and say, Lord, How does this apply today for me, for our church, for our community? We have the same problem of not loving brothers and sisters. We don't have the same problem with the meat stuff. But we've got the same problem of using knowledge to overlook a weak brother or sister in Christ. So let me tell you a story. A bunch of American, bunch of Californian Christians are uh, going to Mexico for a mission trip. Hundreds of them. Hundreds of them going down to Mexico for a month for a mission trip. And uh, one of the teams that's going down there is doing a um, renovation of a building like this. Building where the people of God in in Mexico would, would come into and sing praises and 
hear the word preached and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so this team, this one team is down there and they're working on this building, renovating this building. And of course, if you're working, you've got to have music, right? You've got to have music to work to, right? You've got to have music? I've got to have music going. My, it drives my wife nuts. Got to have the music going. Too loud. So a couple people, we'll call them woman number one and woman number two, they they brought their phones jam-packed full of music. So woman number one, she, she, she plugs her phone in, and everybody's working. And woman number one, man, her music is all Christian music. It is all gospel music. It is all beautiful music. And everyone's just working away, and she's playing all this great music. Okay, I'm going to play one of these one of these songs here that she had on her her iPod or her iPhone. We're gonna play it for just just a minute or so here. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song is cornerstone. Solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving seeks, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. Woman number one, it's just full of, you want to just stand up and start worshiping, don't you? I've been listening to that song all week. Woman number one, her, her, her phone is just full of that music. But her phone dies, right? Our phones die, don't they? Do your phones die? Am I the only one? Our phones die, so her phone dies. So woman number two plugs her phone in there. And she's got a lot of the same songs. She had that same song, but she's got some other songs. She has secular songs on her iPhone. We're going to play one of the songs she has on her iPhone here. I think we've got it. Do we have it? Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, this, 